0: everyone. Welcome back to Whatever the Weather. Hi, Y'all will notice something really interesting straight off the bat. (laughs) Whether you're listening to us or watching us, we are recording this podcast from the San Antonio Food Bank. Very exciting. Yeah, so you're probably going to hear some ambient noise. Mm -hmm. You're going to hear the guys working around on their forklifts. But the reason why we picked the San Antonio Food Bank is because... The food bank does a lot when it comes to responding to natural disasters, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about a particular natural disaster today that many of us across the Gulf understand, and that is hurricanes. hurricanes.
1: Yep, and it's, um yeah, you'll hear the the workers here. They're driving around on their carts. They kind of carved out um, this aisle for us, if you're watching, but they're really busy elsewhere, and they're actively packing up supplies to go to louisiana
0: mm-hmm. in fact specifically baton rouge yeah um it's interesting because just a little joke jokey joke when we were walking in here i was like there's an apocalypse i know where i'm going because there is food for days up so in so much stuff Yeah, San Antonio Food Bank, of course, does wonderful work, um, not only uh, for us here in San Antonio, but as we've just mentioned, for areas all across the Gulf and all across the nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, uh, Hurricane Ida, uh, which devastated New Orleans and a good portion of the U.S., they are helping out providing food for Ida. Um, even with Nicholas, that just uh, went through as of, again, we're recording this in September of 2021. Nicholas uh, brought a lot of, of flooding rains to uh, parts of uh, East Texas and the Houston-Galveston area, as well as Louisiana. So,
1: so we're happy to be here. Um, always a good reminder that the, the food bank, this food bank serves communities, not just here in Texas, as we're seeing today, Uh, But they do serve our local community as well in a very big way. So just, you know, kind of a reminder... Donate to the food bank when you can. And we've seen a lot of signs here for volunteers. And even mm-hmm. as we were coming in to get set up, there were some volunteers coming in to help. So Absolutely. You we're going to
0: provide a link um, yeah. to the show notes, whether you're watching or listening, and you can donate or volunteer. So thank you, Food Bank, for hosting us. Yeah, thank you. So let's start the podcast. Katie, what has been your favorite part of the week so far? Favorite part of the week. So I
1: think it would be the fact that I I went for an outdoor run the other day which doesn't seem like groundbreaking stuff but we talked about this on the first episode with some of our hobbies and how we like to exercise and and work out our brains and stuff um I do the indoor cycling bike and some other indoor strength classes and stuff but where we were living it wasn't a great place to go outdoor running it just and I I could have gone to like a a local school track or something, but I just didn't. So now um, that we're in our new home, I have a awesome neighborhood to go running. And I was able to go outdoor for a run the other day. That's awesome. And I realized how out of shape I am. So Sarah <laughs> runs outdoors like on the Riverwalk all the time. So um, I may need some tips because today I'm like, I'm so sore.
0: The tips are um, don't <laughs> give up, keep going. <laughs> but if you can't breathe, you maybe you should stop a little
1: you bit. Maybe you should. <laughs> Stop or you'll pass out.
0: That's but. the tips. And also, I like the Nike Run app because it helps okay. you with your pace and stuff like that.
1: Very um, nice. What was the best part of your week so far? It
0: kind of hasn't happened yet. Oh. But I'm so excited for it that I'm going to include it. Yeah. My sister and I are going on a little sister trip Aww. up to Austin. We're going to stay at a nice hotel. And we're going to watch one of our fa- my favorite bands and her favorite bands. It's called Sylvan Esso. Um it's And exciting. I'm really excited about it. We leave tomorrow so nice it's gonna be great
1: to, to get away for a few yeah. days
0: awesome. all right well and I <laughs> feel like I haven't seen you in a while Katie because you've been getting your new house together and
1: how's that going it's good good it's the cat has adjusted so nice everything's Way falling go, into Theo. place
0: yeah That's awesome. yeah again reminder you'll hear some ambient noise behind us as they're getting all this food ready in the food bank so uh the another thing we're going to start every podcast episode with is an answer to your questions. Mm-hmm. You can ask questions, um, on dot on this podcast link, uh, and, uh, we have a question from Nicole. Uh, pardon me, Monica. I don't know how I got those names confused. Monica, <laughs> as in Friends. Okay, um, can y'all describe which weather events are the most challenging to forecast? Do y'all have a favorite weather event to track and/or forecast because it's super interesting meteorologically? Hmm. This is a good question. I so
1: we're going to both answer this question. Okay. Um, I. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. <laughs> no, um, I think probably the most challenging um, to forecast are sometimes, especially for us here in south central Texas, are the really strong cold fronts that we get late fall into winter and even into early spring sometimes. Um, because that's when we see, the, I think, the biggest changes in our weather. That's where we can go from it being in the 90s and super humid, and then you get like a 30, 40 degree temperature drop, and it all comes down to timing. Like mm-hmm. we're talking a matter of hours, sometimes even a matter of like half hour chunks of time of how the weather is going to change really drastically. And so it really get down to like nitty gritty of timing out these cold fronts. And sometimes that can be, I think, the most challenging, but also that's kind of the forecasting I like to do, maybe because it is challenging. Um, And I love when we get cold fronts because then it gets cooler. So
0: I I would agree with you about the cold (laughs) fronts. And sticking with that, I think it's challenging to forecast any kind of wintry precipitation uh, because you can have rain
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and that could turn into freezing rain on contact on the ground, or you could have sleet, which is snow that melts into rain that refreezes into ice pellets before it hits the ground. Or you could have just plain old snow. Mm -hmm. And the temperature differences are so important. And you're not looking at a temperature difference on the ground. Mm -hmm. You're looking at a temperature difference from the ground to the upper parts of the atmosphere. So I'd say that's kind of like the funnest slash most interesting slash most difficult and I get to ice chase when there's ice so that's fun for me and
1: we don't get a ton of practice with that kind of forecasting the winter weather um you know probably every year we get at least something nothing compared to like what we saw earlier in 2021 with the Texas winter storm yeah but it's not like we get to flex that muscle all the time. So that kind of makes it more challenging, too. Thank you for yeah, the question, muscles. Monica. And uh, remember, guys, if you go to com to watch the the podcast in video form if you scroll down to the bottom there on the page the video will be at the top if you scroll down you'll see a prompt for you to leave us a question and we're going to try to answer at least one or two every week so leave us your burning weather questions
0: absolutely thank you for that monica okay now let's talk about hurricane. That's good. That's the sound of hurricane. Makes. Looks good. Okay, so Katie, how do hurricanes form? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about it. So we're gonna, and
1: I had to stop myself from like really going off the deep end with this here because tropical meteorology can be really intense and very specific, and blah, blah, blah. so we're just gonna talk about things on a very basic level. Sounds good. Um, so Atlantic hurricane season. We'll start with when is hurricane season atlantic hurricane season is june 1st through november 30th and i say this every year i'm like that's half the year y'all six months it really it's not always super busy the whole time there are periods that historically are busier or have more activity than other parts of the season but it's still six months out of the year um so that's a time when Especially in our world, the the Gulf Coast states really have to be on alert, so that's six months out of the year um and tropical cyclones can develop in any month of the season, and even sometimes we get tropical activity outside of the season. so after November and then even before June, typically more so before. June right. and late spring. Um, however, there are parts of the season that are busier than others, like I mentioned. And in fact, mid-September, the time of this recording, roughly mid-September 2021, uh, that's the peak of hurricane season in the Atlantic Basin. And we're going to pop up this cool graphic um, that shows you the peak of activity in the Atlantic hurricane season. And it is typically around mid-September. I believe if you want to get really specific, it's September 3rd. 10th 10th yeah well yeah it says it right here on this graphic i heard somebody say 13th you get the idea it's like ish. she she loves the number 13 because katie loves all things spooky (laughs) you know i hadn't thought of that but maybe that's right so mid-september is the peak of the atlantic hurricane season and that has proved to be very accurate considering all the activity we've had just in the past couple weeks yes sarah
0: why is Atlantic hurricane season at the time it is? The Like why is it in the summer months?
1: It's the warm water.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's a big that's a big part of tropical cyclone formation mm. is the the warm water temperatures in the Atlantic, but the Atlantic basin also covers anything in the Caribbean and then also the Gulf of Mexico. Cool. So And there's very warm waters in the Caribbean and Gulf of Mexico this time of year as well. So let's talk about how a hurricane or tropical cyclone forms in the first place. A lot of them begin as something called a tropical wave. And basically that's an unorganized area of cloudiness, showers, a few thunderstorms. Uh, These tropical waves, as they move over the very warm waters of the Atlantic Ocean, um, warm air from the ocean gets pushed up to the top of that tropical wave and an area of low pressure forms down at the surface. So as that warm air rises, that creates an area of, of low pressure down at the surface right above the water. So once this begins, The areas of showers and thunderstorms around that area of low pressure can become more numerous. And eventually, if conditions are right, this process will continue and the low pressure system uh, can become strong enough to become a tropical cyclone. Now, there's different criteria for what's a tropical storm, what's a hurricane. And for that, there's really one specific set of criteria that differentiates all those things and Sarah you're going to talk about that
0: I am it's called the Saffir Simpson scale Saffir yes, Simpson yes, yes. scale yes, well yes. yeah that's another Sarah way Spivey scale you know what oh hey yep. I like that the Sarah Spivey scale <laughs> okay the one song I always think of when we talk about hurricanes you know what it is <laughs> rock you like a hurricane here I am yeah <laughs> Rocky like a hurricane on the Steffa-Simpson scale. Okay, so there are different types, as Katie was just mentioning. So all tropical depressions, tropical storms, hurricanes, they're all called tropical cyclones, okay? Mm -hmm. Cyclone meaning, you know, an area that spins, right? And so tropical depressions, tropical storms, hurricanes, they all spin around a center of low pressure. So that is the first necessary thing. It has to have an organized center of low pressure, right? If it has wind speeds of zero miles per hour to 38 miles per hour, that's a tropical depression, right? If it has wind speeds of 39 to 73 miles per hour, that is a tropical storm. And whenever a system becomes a tropical storm, when it gets that center of low with 39 mile per hour winds or greater, that is when it gets a name, okay? And the names are created by the World Meteorological Organization. They're determined alphabetically, and the names are determined um, to make sense to where you live, right? So here we'll have Sally or Katrina or Matthew or Katie or Sarah, right? Because those names make sense for us English-speaking people um nations and there's also you know every now and then going to be some spanish names Mm -hmm. in there as well like tropical storm cristobal or uh isaias you know so uh, these are all names that make sense to us now in in the atlantic basin there are names that are um not in English, right? And so- In the Pacific. In the Pacific. Sorry, I said Atlantic. In the Pacific Ocean, uh, storms that may impact uh, Asia, those are going to um, have uh, specific names to those countries. So that's just what happens. If you get a tropical storm, it gets a Mm name, okay? And then from there, we've got hurricanes, right? If it gets a wind speed of 74 miles per hour or greater, that is a hurricane okay if it's 74 to 95 that pardon me 75 to 95 that is a category one hurricane and that would have downed trees and roof damage category two hurricane is 96 to 110 miles per hour that would result in home damage and large power losses Mm If it's a Category 3, it counts as a major hurricane. Anything Category 3 or greater is a major hurricane. That's 111 miles per hour to 129 miles per hour. If it's a Category 4 hurricane, that's 130 to 156 miles per hour. This a Category 4 hurricane usually is going to result in devastating damage and homes destroyed. Uh, by the way, anytime there's a major hurricane, Category 3 or greater, you can expect no power in those areas for weeks or greater weeks in, in some places. And that's what we saw with Hurricane Ida. Many folks, sorry about the noise there. Again, we're in the um, food bank, so you'll hear a little bit of crashing every now and then as they're moving some of these <laughs> Casual <pallets>. crashing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's, and I almost saw two forklifts hit each other.
1: They... Whoa are whipping these they things are. around
0: they are. they're not messing
1: around man time right. is money
0: back to the, <laughs> the hurricane status okay so if it's a major hurricane it's gonna be category three or greater if it's a Category 5 hurricane, wind speeds of 157 miles per hour or greater. And this would mean that the area would be uninhabitable for weeks. And uh, that's a devastating hurricane. Mm-hmm. Really, honestly, any hurricane or even a tropical storm can be devastating because it produces storm surge mm-hmm. and, and heavy rains. At any point, that could result in loss of life. So um, hurricanes in the northern hemisphere spin counterclockwise while hurricanes in the Southern Hemisphere spin clockwise. And this is because of something called the Coriolis effect, all right? And that is the pattern of deflection taken by objects not firmly connected to the ground, right? And that's what hurricanes are. They just kind of float. They're not firmly uh, connected to the ground. Um, And as they travel long distances around the Earth, They kind of start to drift Mm -hmm. right so essentially those large-scale objects like hurricanes they drift a bit since they are floating in the air and in the northern hemisphere they'll drift to the right and they'll curve and that's a counterclockwise motion right Mm -hmm. in the southern hemisphere they'll drift to the left and that ends up being a clockwise rotation as they curve so that's pretty interesting the coriolis effect and no That does not impact the way the toilet flushes. So some people think that it's a myth that in the Northern Hemisphere, the toilets flush counterclockwise. And in the Southern Hemisphere, the toilets flush clockwise. But in reality, um, that only affects large scale things like a hurricane or something like that. In fact, the reason... The way your toilet flushes is due to plumbing more so than to the Coriolis effect. (laughs) All right. So hurricanes, you might have heard them called cyclones or typhoons. Mm -hmm. They're all the same thing. It just depends on where in the world you are as far as the storm goes. So all Atlantic storms are called hurricanes, All period. Okay. Eastern Pacific storms are called hurricanes too. So the ones that affect, you know, uh, the western part of Mexico or Hawaii or Hawaii, exactly, those are all called hurricanes as well. But western Pacific storms in the northern hemisphere are called typhoons, and these impact Asia. Okay? Mm-hmm. Southern Pacific storms are called cyclones. Those impact Australia, Oceania, and finally any storm in the Indian Ocean it's called a cyclone as well. That is, I love breaking that down. That's so helpful
1: because there are kind of, I think, especially if you're not really into meteorology, there's these different things names floating around, and it's like, what? I thought a cyclone. I, you know, I I remember answering a couple of questions one time, and people thought the cyclone was just a tornado, so it was really. Interesting to kind of help break that down. These are all tropical cyclones. Mm -hmm. Um, Then these other names, hurricane type, that's all dependent on your geography. Absolutely.
0: And now we're going to talk a little bit about um, historical hurricane cyclones, typhoons, but specifically Texas hurricanes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the first one I thought we would start off is one that many Texans know and remember. Well, not literally remember. Remember learning about. All right. Remember learning about. And that is the 1900 Galveston Hurricane. All right. This was a Category 4 hurricane at the time of landfall on September 9th, 1900. It is and remains the deadliest natural disaster ever. Period. Full stop. The deadliest natural disaster ever. Estimates of 6,000 on the low end, to 12,000 on the high end, fatalities, people who unfortunately passed away, with most officials citing 8,000 debt. Wow. Now, at the time of the 1900 hurricane, the highest point in the city of Galveston was only 8.7 feet. All right. That is an important number to remember because the hurricane brought with it a storm surge over 15 feet. Wow. So the entire, even the lowest part of Galveston was underwater with the storm surge that washed over the entire island. And Galveston at the time was a thriving metropolis. Yeah. Almost, it was like Houston, all right? Mm -hmm. It was a big city of import, and uh, most people lived on the island itself. What's really um, interesting historically, and hopefully our awesome producer Alyssa can grab a couple of videos or screenshots of it, is that Thomas Edison, the Thomas Edison, light bulb Thomas Edison, okay, he shot a video of the cleanup efforts on September 24th of 1900, and you can still see the video today. One of the film's It's impressive because it's one of the first films from one of the first filmmakers ever, and it's of the 1900 Galveston hurricane disaster. All right. Next up, we're going to talk about Katrina in 2005. Now, I know Katrina technically was not a storm that made landfall and did a lot of damage around Texas. But it did end up sending a lot of refugees our way, mm-hmm. which has impacted our economy and our demographics yeah. and just the overall everything about Texas to have this huge mm-hmm. influx of folks from the New Orleans area. So it was a large Category 5 Atlantic hurricane that caused over 1,800 deaths and $125 billion in damage. And as of uh, uh, just 2017, it was the costliest um hurricane in the United States which was replaced by uh, hurricane Harvey which we'll talk about in just a bit um, the the city of New Orleans was of course impacted in a horrible way early August 24th a tropical depression intensified into a tropical storm and it headed generally westward toward Florida initially making landfall in Florida on August 25th but then it re-emerged into the Gulf of Mexico and on august 26 and began to rapidly intensify in the gulf of mexico the storm strengthened to a category 5 hurricane over the warm waters of the gulf before weakening into a category 3 hurricane by by the time it made its second landfall right on southeast louisiana mississippi and of course as we know the devastating thing that happened with um Katrina was that the levee system failed, and so the entire city of New Orleans was inundated with water. And, and as I mentioned, although it didn't technically impact Texas, it, a lot of refugees came our way, particularly to Houston, um, to seek refuge from from that natural disaster.
1: Yeah. Oh, those are big ones. Yep, those are big ones. All right, we're gonna fast forward just a few years. So 2005 was a big hurricane year. And then uh, we're going to jump ahead to 2008, and that was when Hurricane Ike affected the Houston-Galveston area. And I was what grade was I in? Was I in high school? I guess I was.
0: I was maybe a freshman. You were in high school. Sophomore. We're about the same. Yeah, I think you were a sophomore. Um,
1: So I do remember. I remember that. I remember helping my parents board up our house, and it was. It was pretty gnarly, especially in terms of the wind. And we didn't have power for a few days. I don't think it was quite a week. but um, So I started as a tropical wave off the coast of Africa on August 28th back in 2008. So this is uh, what I was talking about earlier, how... Many tropical cyclones or eventual hurricanes get their start, so it's way off the coast of Africa, but it moves across the Atlantic over the course of several days. Warm water helps it to intensify, and then it becomes a Category 4 hurricane over the Atlantic before affecting parts of the Caribbean like Turks and Caicos, the Southern Bahamas, and then eventually... Cuba. So now Ike is as far west as Cuba and kind of similar to what Katrina did. And you'll notice this theme, it reemerges over the open waters of the Gulf of Mexico and is able to kind of reorganize itself um, and uh, get itself back together. Now, that peak intensity was category four. By the time Ike made a landfall on Galveston Island, it was a category two hurricane, but it was at the very top end of the scale with winds Mm -hmm. of 110 miles per hour. So September 13th, 2008, late that night, that was landfall um, for Ike on Galveston Island with winds of 110 miles per hour. So a very, very high-end category two storm. According to the Harris County Flood Control District, damage from Ike totaled around $27 billion. So it was a big one. Um, The big issue with Ike was the storm surge. Uh, particularly on Galveston Island. So their storm surge there was the highest recorded on the island since 1915. So that was after the 1900. Yeah. Right. Um, but it was th- that that was the big problem. That's what wiped out a lot of structures and homes on Galveston Island. There was also a lot of flooding from just the rain in and around Houston and Harris County. But the storm surge was the big issue. And this has since resulted in a big push for something called the Dike Project. And this is a proposed project which would essentially result in a coastal barrier being built to protect the Houston-Galveston area, specifically from storm surge. And this is really interesting um, because something very similar was done in the Netherlands and then also in New Orleans after... Katrina Mm. I don't recall what the name of the project was in New Orleans but it's been very beneficial and
0: it's been battle tested
1: yes and and it's held up Um, there's actually a lot of really good information about this and I'll have a an an image um, to show you here on the screen of information about this from Texas A&M Galveston they've got a ton of info about this shout out um, so I, I was really interested to start, to start reading about this and I see a lot of Houston area meteorologists talk about the need for the Ike Dike because even Ike wasn't as bad as it could have been. And there are concerns about, you know, if we reach that maximum potential with storm surge, it, you know, could have been even more devastating than it already was still $27 billion worth of damage. So that's something that, um, is still I think being pushed really heavily for um from some in the Houston Galveston area so that Makes was sense. Ike go check that out on uh Texas a Galveston's website um jumping ahead almost 10 years so between 2008 and 2017 it was pretty quiet fairly quiet yeah we had a little bit of a lull in tropical activity. Um, Then we'll jump ahead to 2017 and Hurricane Harvey. So there's some similarities um, from Harvey to Ike, but also... We
0: remember Harvey very well because we were covering Harvey.
1: Yes, we had been with KSAT in San Antonio for a few months. Katie was out in the storm chaser going to Houston during this time. And that was... um, Yeah, I you, you and Mike Osterhage, one of our colleagues, were going wall-to-wall
0: It's <laughs> our gopro my gopro went out <laughs> it's like okay you're talking too long okay it's full but that's fine you don't need to see no us that much <laughs> so <laughs> <By> gopro <laughs> sorry okay. katrina wait no harvey <laughs> so harvey also
1: started as a wave off of africa That was on August 12th, and then it moved across the Caribbean, um, eventually making it over to the Yucatan Peninsula, and then it weakened significantly. So when these tropical systems run into land over the Caribbean, whether it be Cuba or Mexico, that really messes them up, kind of throws them off their groove. But Harvey was able to move over the Yucatan Peninsula and then reemerge there in the far southern Gulf of Mexico and the Bay of Campeche, Campeche Campeche I I know I always say it wrong I'm like this Campeche, Campeche. <laughs> That's not correct. Um so that was let me do my math. That was 11 days later on August 23rd and that was a Sunday. Mm-hmm. I remember that cuz yep. I was working. Um from there, Harvey strengthened rapidly while it was moving into the Gulf and then Just two days later, on the night of August 25th, it made landfall near Rockport as a Category 4 hurricane. So that thing jumped over the Yucatan. Wasn't even formally a tropical system. It had gotten torn apart so much. Mm -hmm. And then conditions were just right in the Gulf. There was minimal wind shear. The water was really warm. And that thing was able to jump up to a Category 4 hurricane before making landfall. Again, that was near Rockport. So that was bad enough along parts of the Middle Texas coast that areas that we're familiar with, like Rockport and Port Aransas, they had devastating storm surge there. The wind caused a lot of damage, too. And then it just got worse because then Harvey, as it moved inland, it stalled for nearly four days Between San Antonio and the Houston area, and this is what led to the historic rainfall totals for parts of southeast Texas, with some of the highest totals being up near 60 inches of rain.
0: Five feet of rain. Five feet.
1: Just insane. Um, And it was all because that tropical system stalled sat there for a few days so while ike highly highlighted the need for protection against storm surge and the push for the ike dike, harvey really highlighted the danger that big metropolitan areas like houston face from just flooding rains Mm. so kind of two issues there storm surge but then also just general flooding rains and houston has seen several big flash flooding events not related to tropical yeah. systems since then. And um...
0: and you bring up a good point there, Katie, because, yes, the winds are devastating, right? The winds are devastating. It determines what kind of category hurricane mm-hmm. a hurricane is. But the highest winds actually only occur near the center of the hurricane. Outside of that center, you get the flooding rains, you mm-hmm. get the storm surge, and most of the deaths are caused from the storm surge or the flooding rains. So those are uh, four uh, hurricanes that Texas has had to deal with um, that we just highlighted. There's been many more. And so, uh, yeah, I'm sure everybody who's listening to this podcast has a memory of a particular hurricane uh, in their, in their minds. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next we're going to talk about a subject that has been a hot, hot subject no pun intended, climate change. Okay. We're going to talk about it. We're not going to shy away from talking about it. We're going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Although I will say this, there are many factors that determine the intensity and frequency of hurricanes from year to year. Mm -hmm. One of which is something that we can't do anything about. It's called the ENSO, El Nino Southern Oscillation, um, Okay, and basically that's El Nino and La Nina. Mm-hmm. All right, so that makes it very complicated, because during a La Nina year, more hurricane activity is is favored, and that's because there's not as much wind shear in the air. Mm-hmm. Wind shear in the Atlantic basin essentially will cut off a storm from developing in the vertical. But if there's not a lot of wind shear, it can develop, it can strengthen. And so during La Nina years, it is entirely possible to have more hurricanes than on average. So that's something that, you know, climate change has not been... um, necessarily directly linked to, but Mm -hmm. there's still a lot of unknowns when it comes to El Nino and La Nina, the ENSO, uh, Southern Oscillation. So the amount of activity in the Atlantic Basin, Katie, is a bit difficult to attribute directly to climate change because there's many different factors. However, the intensity Mm -hmm. can be attributed directly to climate change. And here's the reason why. You were talking about Warm water, you got to have the warm water in order to have the hurricane, right? Warm water temperatures means that there's more fuel for a hurricane. And that can lead to rapid intensification. Mm -hmm. Kind of like what you were just talking about with Harvey, right? How it went from just a tropical storm to a Category 4 hurricane like that. Mm -hmm. Because the water near the surface is much hotter than the water out in the middle of the gulf. Mm -hmm. And even then, that's already hot. So, right before they make landfall, they intensify very quickly. You increase that water by a degree or two, and you can increase the intensity of a hurricane very quickly. Mm -hmm. So, what's fascinating is that in just the past two years, up to the point of this recording, September fifteenth, two 2021, there have been 14 Gulf storms that have made landfall in 2020 and 2021. That is a lot. And Louisiana, in particular, has been hit very hard by these these landfalling tropical cyclones.
1: I was going to say our our fellow meteorologists in Louisiana are, are tired, fed up, done. Yeah. I can't imagine how exhausted yeah. they must be after the past
0: all of that. Two to say, years, all of that to say, we have been dealing with hurricanes and tropical cyclones for the entire existence of humanity. Okay, we've been right. dealing with it.
1: I mean. The 1900 hurricane. Yeah, exactly. They didn't, people didn't know that was coming. They, some scientists had an idea just monitoring weather conditions, but there was no five-day forecast cone.
0: No, there wasn't. Mm -mm. So we're getting better at forecasting. We're getting better at seeing the satellite imagery of hurricanes out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So that's why they get named, you know, and there's more in that respect, Mm -hmm. but the intensity is increasing. Right toward landfall, and we just have to be better prepared, you know. Because now that we have the science to see these things, mm-hmm. we we can be in a place like the food bank, and we can we can um, have these resources available for those who are affected directly, and we can forecast them better, um, and we can do a bit to help our environment as well at the same time. Yeah. So good point. That's hurricanes. That's them. Don't forget that you can watch this podcast, listen to this podcast, ksat.com, wherever you get your podcasts. There's going to be a lot of great visual elements here. Mm -hmm. And don't forget that you can donate to the food bank. We'll provide a link as well.
1: Yes, they're doing a lot of good, like we said, here at home all the time. They've been a big player in COVID relief over the past year and a half, but we're watching these guys load Load up these trucks to head over to our neighbors in Louisiana and help them out as well. So we've got a good, good thing going here at the San Antonio Food Bank.
0: So whether you're expecting a hurricane or expecting beautiful sunny weather, remember to weather Weather the weather, weather, whatever whatever the weather.
1: weather.
0: Deuces, smooches. Okay, (laughs) Adam. Thanks for listening to Whatever the Weather. You can listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts. Plus, if you want to watch the video, you can find that on KSAT's podcast page, YouTube, and the KSAT TV app on your Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, Apple, or Smart TV.